Well, good evening. I actually said it right. I, kept, I was sitting there going, make sure you say good evening, not good morning. So, how many people here, you can admit it, said good morning to people several times this evening? I think we're creatures of habit, and I know I did it several times. I don't want to step on any of your stuff. Awesome. Well, Merry Christmas. Shangdan Kuala. Feliz Navidad. That's about all I got. So, well, I'm, I'm excited to be here. I love Christmas. I absolutely love Christmas. I love everything about it. Christmas food. Actually, that's not true. I, well, I do love Christmas food, but I don't love everything about Christmas. I don't like shopping. Although, Taobao has kind of changed a little bit of, a, of that for me. It's made it more bearable. But I, I do. I love, I love Christmas food. I love Christmas carols. I love watching It's a Wonderful Life many, many times. I love Christmas food. Did I say that? <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely do. I, I, love, uh, I love Christmas lights. I, lo- I love sitting on, late at night with my wife watching TV by the light of the Christmas tree. Something romantic about that. I love, I love watching The Grinch That Stole Christmas with my kids and seeing them laugh and the joy in that. I love the joy on their faces when they open their presents Christmas morning. You know, I also have such vivid memories of Christmas as a child and enjoying the wonder and the majesty of Christmas. You know, growing up, my church also had a a candlelight ceremony, uh, very similar to tonight. I really loved those times. I remember my brother and I used to, after the candles were lit, we used to drip hot wax on our hands to try and glue our fingers together. So... Maybe I should have said that after we did the service. So kids, don't do that. But yeah, we loved it. We had a fun time. It was always fun. You know, one of the things that I liked about our church is they had a live nativity. And, you know, in, I grew up outside of Washington, D.C., and Washington, D.C. is cold. And so what they did is they got the youth to be the, the people in the live nativity. And I remember fighting with, uh, with my friends over who got to be the wise men, because the wise men actually got to walk back and forth, and then usually was a little warmer than, than the shepherds or, or Joseph that just had to stand there. And so we loved that. And, you know, sometimes they even had live animals, although here at Capitol, we often have goats uh, every week, so at least, at least we got that for us as well. So, but, you know, I remember... One year as a teen, I really stopped to think about what I was doing in that live nativity. I remember that year I was a wise man, and I started thinking, you know, this seems kind of out of place to me. You know, Mary and Joseph, it makes sense for them to be there. They were the parents. The shepherds, well, they lived nearby, and Jesus was born in a stable. So, you know, that make, I think that makes sense, too. The angels, well, they're angels, so... They can do whatever they want. Why not have them there? But the wise men? Riding on camels? Doesn't that seem a little out of place? You know, I remember as a kid thinking, I don't even know what magi are. Are these guys three kings? Are they three wise men? Are they three magi? What's the deal with that? So here you have this nice feel-good story about this baby born in a manger... And yet these wise men show up bringing strange gifts with even stranger names. 
frankincense and myrrh. It seems out of place. It's almost as if they said, and then aliens landed in their spacecraft and, and walked among the people. I think the biggest revelation for me that hit me was they weren't Jewish. The Jews were watching for a Messiah, a Jewish Messiah. You'd even say they were religiously watching for the Messiah to come and save his people. They thought the Messiah would save the Jewish people. But here we are at the arrival of this Jewish Messiah, and there's Gentiles in the picture, non-Jews. I remember thinking, wait a minute, I'm not Jewish. These men, these wise men are not Jewish, but they were given access to the Savior. And so for me, I thought, that's significant. That's amazing. You know, when angels appeared to the shepherds, the angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. It says, I will bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. That includes the Jews, but it also includes the non-Jews. It includes the Chinese. It includes the Americans. It includes all nations. But more importantly, it includes you. And it includes me. So tonight I want to talk about these wise men. And what does it mean to seek the Savior? Over the next three weeks, I, I will be speaking. Sorry, you're stuck with me. Uh, but each, each time I'm going to talk about a different person in the nativity. So tonight I'm going to talk about the wise men and what does it mean to seek the Savior. Next week, which will be back on Sunday morning, I'll talk about Mary and what does it mean to experience the Savior. Mary said, well, the Bible says that Mary treasured all these things in her heart. And so next week we're going to look at that. What does it mean to experience the Savior? And then the following week, which would be the 29th, I'm going to talk about the shepherds. We're going to talk about what does it mean to proclaim the Savior. Because these shepherds were unschooled, ordinary people, but they met with Jesus. They encountered the Savior, and then they're able to tell other people. So, my prayer is, over these next three weeks, we're going to look at a very familiar story. You know, it's probably one of the most famous stories in all the world. I know I heard it every year growing up. Many of you probably have heard this story every year growing up. But my prayer is that we would, we would see this story with new eyes. That over these three times that we get together and we talk about it, that God will reveal something new, something exciting for us. As we look at the wise men, the shepherds, and Mary, I also want to look at how is what, their, what God did in their lives relevant to our lives here 2,000 years later in Beijing. I think there's going to be some really neat application points that we can look at. And my prayer is that God would use this time to really change us. So what do we know about these wise men? Well, most of what I know actually comes from the song, We Three Kings. We three kings of Orientar, bearing gifts, they travel afar, field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. So what does the Bible say? Let's look. Matthew 2, 1 to 12 says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the day of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, 
Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. When you have found him, bring me word, that I too may come and worship him. After, after listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them, until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When this, they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary and his mother. Or with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to, the, to their own country by another way. Okay, so were they kings? Well, the Bible doesn't say. We don't know. The Bible calls them wise men. Many scholars believe that they're perhaps historians or astrologers. So we, don't, we really don't know. Well, how many were there? Were there three? We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. You know, the number three is often assumed because they brought three gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So when, when did they arrive? You know, as a kid, I always pictured them arriving that first night. But in reality, they probably arrived months or up to two years after the birth. If you look at verse 11... It says, and going into the house where Jesus was. It doesn't say going into the stable. So from that, we probably know that it wasn't that first night. Also, perhaps we get a time frame from Matthew two sixteen, where it says, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. So that's what we've got. We've got a time frame of, of somewhere within the first two years of Jesus' birth is when the wise men came. So where did the wise men come from? Well, the Bible says they came from the east. That's all it says. You know, some people believe that east is Asia, or even, or even, even China. You know, others believe that it refers, the, the Bible refers to it as east because they came from multiple locations, and then they, they really don't know. But most biblical scholars believe that east meant Babylon or ancient Persia, so modern-day Iran, Iraq area. And, you know, the reason why they think that is because they would have the most access to, to the Old Testament prophecies that talk about, about the Messiah coming. You know... In the Old Testament, we see that the Jewish people were taken into captivity twice. And so they would be in these ancient countries. And the, and the prophecies would permeate these ancient countries. You know, even Daniel, who we often read the prophecies that he had of the coming of Messiah, we often read those around Christmas time, he was held in captivity there. And that's where he worked and lived. So that's a little background about these kings. So what, what can we learn from them? 
What do we learn from these wise guys? Well, tonight I want to look at three things. The first thing is, why did they seek Christ? The second thing is, what gifts did they bring? And the third is, is how did they respond to Christ? I want to look at these quick questions in relationship to the wise men, but I also want to look at it in relation to us. And how do we seek Christ? So maybe you're here tonight, and you feel like you've been on this really long journey to find God. My prayer is that tonight, he would reveal himself to you. Or maybe you've known Christ for years. I still believe that we are to continue to seek him. You know, the next picture is is of my wife when we got married 13 years ago. And I preached this past summer about how I had to propose to her three times before she finally said yes. And uh, I pursued her for a long time through a lot of hardship. And I, and I finally won. But, but it doesn't end there. Just because I won her over doesn't mean that I should stop seeking her. She would be, believe me, she would be the first one to tell you that I need to continue to pursue her, that I need to continue to engage her. And so perhaps you're here tonight and you've walked with God for a long time, and perhaps your walk with him has gotten a little predictable or a little routine. I know that in my own life, there's been times where my relationship with God or my walk with God has gotten a little stale. And so my prayer is that tonight and this Christmas season would be a catalyst for you in your relationship with God. That you would be able to experience him and see him in a whole new way. So why did they seek Christ? Why did these wise men seek Christ? Well, let's look at Matthew 2 again. It says they were following the star. Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. You know, from this, this, this verse, we can also uh, find out that uh, they knew about the prophecies. Because it says, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? So they knew about the prophecies. Maybe that's why they came. Numbers 24 uh, 17 says, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. So perhaps they came because of these prophecies. Perhaps they came just because God revealed himself in a dream to them. We we don't know. You know, when, when after they meet Christ, God reveals himself into uh, in a dream to these wise men then, and tells them to go a different way. So maybe God revealed himself in a dream, just like he did with Joseph. We don't know why the wise men came, but we know that they came to worship him. So there are many reasons why people come to Christ. But, so we don't know why the wise men came, but we do know that they sought him. They, they very much, over field and fountain, more and mountain, they sought him. And Matthew 7, 7 and 8 says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For, who, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. You know, when people came to Jesus seeking bread, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. When the woman at the well came to Jesus seeking water, Jesus said, I am the living water. There's lots of things that we seek. Even tonight, maybe you're seeking something. 
But the answer is Jesus. So I wanted to share with you a story of a different wise guy, me. See, I grew up going to church, but I, I saw Christianity as a list of rules and regulations. I saw it as a religion that was focused on what man has to do. I didn't see it as a relationship, a relationship with the creator of the universe. Growing up, I had two really close friends, my best friend Ronnie and my next-door neighbor Andrea. Ronnie and I were inseparable. We played sports together. We slept over, over each other's houses. We were just really, really good friends. But Ronnie's dad was an alcoholic. His parents got divorced at an early age, and Ronnie lived with his dad. And his dad was physically abusive. And so as a result, Ronnie got involved in drinking and partying and drugs and things like that to kind of get away from what was happening at home. Then there was my next-door neighbor, Andrea. She and I started dating in kindergarten, and we went till about fifth grade. And even after we broke up, we still hung out a lot. I liked her a lot. She was the most attractive girl in our school. And, but I, I remember one day in, in, in high school, I played football. And so did all my other friends except for Ronnie. He played soccer. And one day, Ronnie wanted to go out drinking that night. And I remember saying, you know, Ronnie, I can't go. And he's like, oh, come on, come on. And I'm like, well, we have a football game the next day. Our coach often will call us the night before to make sure we're not out doing something stupid. And, and so I didn't go. But I remember telling Ronnie, don't go with this group of kids because they're bad news and I don't want you to get arrested. Well, it turns out that the driver of the car that Ronnie was in was on LSD and ran a red light. And Ronnie was instantly killed in the car accident. And that, that really rocked my world. I didn't understand... I was 16 years old. I didn't understand how there could be a loving God and let something like that happen to somebody so close to me. I was angry. And every day, it seemed like Andrea would come, come over and she would, she would try and share, share her faith with me. Because Andrea had become a Christian through a youth group uh, near our house. And she'd tell me all these things about how God loves me. She'd tell me she's praying for me. Um, but I kept pushing Andrea away. But even more, I was pushing God away. Well, six months after Ronnie died in a car accident, I was pulling out of my driveway to go to school, and I saw Andrea pulling out of her driveway, and I waved to her, and I went on to school. And about an hour later, I hear a lot of people talking. It turned out that there was a car accident right in front of our school, and Andrea had died. So six months after Ronnie died in a car accident, Andrea died in a car accident. And so I was sitting at Andrea's funeral listening to the pastor talk, and the pastor told me that God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life, which I had heard before. He told me that I have sin in my life, and therefore I'm separated from God. And, and you know, I had heard that before as well. Then he went on to tell me that Jesus is God's provision for man's sin, and he built a bridge that would connect me back to God. And, and you know, I had heard that growing up in a church as well. But it was the fourth thing that he told me that I'd never heard before, and that was we must individually receive Jesus into our heart. We must individually receive the gift that he gave. It's Christmas season. I know we like to give gifts. If I have a gift for my wife and I put it under the tree, is that really hers? We can say it's hers, but she hasn't opened yet. She hasn't received it yet. If I have a $10 bill and I say, hey, this $10 bill is yours, and I'm waving it around, it actually doesn't become yours until you take it. And so at Andrea's funeral in the pew of that church is when I received Christ. It's when I accepted that gift. It's when I said, Lord, I want to know you. 
I don't know why everything's happening the way it's happening, but I need you. And so that's when I trusted Christ. That's when I sought him. That's when he delivered or showed himself to me. So when we seek, we find. And so if you're here tonight and you're still not sure, and you have questions, come talk to me. Come talk to some of the elders after the service. We'd love to be able to, to help you connect with the Lord. So what gifts did these, these wise men bring? Well, you know, I have three kids. I've been to the hospital many times to visit other family friends who've had kids. And I've never seen anybody bring gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And they're, they're strange gifts. I mean, I've, I've brought diapers. I've brought baby clothes. Frankincense and myrrh? That seems rather strange to me. And you know, often when something is strange, it's significant. And so let's talk about that. Because I don't think the wise men showed up to, Jerusalem, or to Bethlehem and said, we didn't bring anything. Is there a Babies R Us around here where I can go and buy some frankincense and myrrh? Is there a Shell My Boo around the corner that, that will sell these things? You know, I think their gifts were given for a reason. And I truly believe that that reason is to help us understand more of who they were giving the gifts to. They're to tell us who the baby lion in the manger really is. They're to point us to Christ as the prophet, the priest, and the king. So let's look at these gifts. The first gift is gold. Gold is a gift fit for a king. Matthew 27, 11 says, Now Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor questioned him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said to him, It is as you said. You know, Jesus starts his life on earth with this title when the shepherds, come, or not the shepherds, when the wise men come and say, where is this child who was born king of the Jews? And he also ends his time on earth with this title as well. When he's crucified, the sign above him reads king of the Jews. And so, and you know, I, I love even later in Revelation when they start talking about Jesus as the king of kings. And so gold is, is a gift fit for a king. So how does that relate to us? What gift do we bring? Do we acknowledge him as our, as our king? Or, to look at it in another way, who is on the throne of your life? There's two circles in this next slide that show they're both believers. The circle on the left, Christ is on the throne of the life of your life, the circle on the right, self is on the throne of your life. And you know, I, I just want to say before, before we keep going, that as believers we can be confident that that cross will never leave the circle. He says in Hebrews, it says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Or to say it another way, Paul says in chap- Romans chapter 8, verses 38, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, in that passage, the thing that gives me most comfort as they talk about height or depth, all these different things, the thing that gives me most comfort is nor anything else in all creation. And you know why? Because that includes me. There's nothing I can do that would, that would take Christ out of my circle. Now, sometimes I can put myself on the throne and push him to the edges. 
But, but as believers, we can be confident that he'll ne- never leave us or forsake us. He'll never leave that circle. But sometimes I can still be the one calling the shots. So how do I put Christ back on the throne of my life? What does that look like? Well, how do I make him king? It's a fancy word that the Bible uses called repentance. So what does repentance mean? There's an easy way to remember it. You know, Capital Community Church is often called CCC. And so you can just remember this, CCC. The first thing is to call it sin. Things that you've done that are wrong. Acknowledge with God the things that, that, that you've done that, that are wrong. The second is to call it forgiven because because God already paid that penalty for your sin 2,000 years ago. All your past, your present, and your future sin is already forgiven. And then the third thing is to call upon God to change you. Ask him to help you walk in a different way. That's how you can get God back on the throne. So, we bring him gifts of gold as a king. Well, what about frankincense? Well, frankincense is an incense burned by priests. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect to be, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So people burned frankincense because they believed that the smoke would reach the heavens. Frankincense was burned by the priests. Well, we have a great high priest. And so to me, this, this is really exciting because we don't need smoke to reach the heavens. The Bible says that Jesus is our mediator. We can approach him directly. And back in, in Old Testament days, they would have to go visit the priests. We, we don't have to do that. We can do that right now in our hearts. We can do that in our chairs. He stands before the Father on our behalf. Isn't that amazing that the God of this universe has a personal relationship with us, that we can talk to him directly? So how do we seek them? Well, do we draw, draw near to the throne of grace with confidence like this verse says? Well, why not? You know, I think I'm often reluctant to do that because of my shame and my guilt. You know, I believe the lie that he wouldn't possibly want me to come near him. I need to get my life together before I can approach God. And that's not what he wants. You know, I love, the, I love this passage because it tells us we should approach him with, with confidence. And it begins with since then, which is a way an author uses to connect different passages. So let's read, read what it says before this passage. Hebrews four eleven to 13 says, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joint and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account." is discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, of my heart, of your heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of whom we must give an account. I got to be honest with you, as somebody that struggles with shame and guilt, 
That's terrifying to me. To be naked and exposed, fully known. But that's the most amazing thing about this passage. We are fully known, and yet we are told to approach his throne of grace with confidence. See, he knows already who we are, but yet he wants us to have fellowship with him. So what does God want for Christmas? What gift can we bring him? You can give him yourself completely. Not partly, not not with something hidden deep down, but your full self, as he already fully sees you. As the broken, messy, selfish, sometimes angry, sometimes insecure person that you already are. Share your hurts with him. Share your heart with him. Let him know your pain. He wants to know it. He wants to know you fully. He wants you fully. So approach his throne with grace. Or throw to, approach his throne with confidence, knowing that his mercy and grace is abundant. So what gifts can we bring him? We need to make him our king. The gold. We need to a- approach him broken and humble, like the frankincense. And to be honest, I don't have much time for myrrh, but I'll tell you about myrrh. Myrrh is a burial spice. And so I, I love that, that, that foreshadowing of what Christ is going to do. It's honoring the sacrifice, knowing that he's coming to the cross. Luke 13, 33 says, Nevertheless, I must journey on today and tomorrow and the next day, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. I love that verse because it's acknowledging, Jesus is acknowledging that he's a prophet, but he's also foreshadowing his death saying that I need to be the one to die in Jerusalem. I can't die out here. And so, how do we come to Christ? We need to acknowledge what he has done. You know, when I was sitting in the pew of Andrea's church, I prayed what is often called the sinner's prayer. And what, what that is, is acknowledging what, what Christ's death on the cross did, which is the myrrh. It's saying, I want to know you personally which is the frankincense. It's saying, I want you to live in my heart. I want you to direct me, which is the king, which is the gold. So how did these wise men respond? I only have a few minutes, so I only want to touch on, on two things, but Matthew two eleven to 12 says, And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So so what the scripture is saying is they fell down and worshipped him, and they went, went a different way. When we encounter Christ, we fall down and worship him, and then we go a different way. Encountering Christ, asking Jesus into your life, changes you. Every day I'm changed as I approach the Father as I approach the Son, as, as the Holy Spirit is in me. And it changes me. It, it causes me to go a different way. So I just want to close in prayer real quick. Uh, I think the band's going to come back up, and we are going to get to the candle part of the evening, which I'm sure the kids are looking forward to. So let me pray. Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you that 20-some years ago, uh, you drew me to you uh, 
and at Andrea's funeral that I was able to open the door of my life and to receive you as my Savior and Lord. Father, I pray for anybody here tonight that hasn't done that. I pray that you would continue to be drawing them to you. Help them to know that if they seek, they will find. Help them to know that you love them, that you want them to approach your throne of grace with confidence. Help us to be broken and humble. Help us to put you as our king. Help us to recognize the sacrifice that you've made on the cross for us, Lord. Father, thank you for these wise men and that your gospel is a gospel for all nations. We love you, Lord. It's your name I pray. Amen.